Gas was 50 cents a gallon And they'd put it in for you And they'd pump your tires and check your oil And wash your windows too And we'd shine those cars as bright as bright But we'd go park underneath that light Stare out at good the prairie morning, sky Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Fred Eaglesmith kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith, and there is no place I'd rather be than talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thank you so much for being here. I sincerely do appreciate it. Man, what a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. Spring turkey season. It's in the uh, north zone, anyway, in the Lone Star State. you got two weekends left this weekend and next to get it done. I've punched two tags, got two left. So uh, I'll be out there tomorrow morning, hopefully knock down another one and then get a hunt in the following weekend as well. But you know what? If I don't tag out, it's not the end of the world. It's been a great season, and uh, I, don't, I don't count – a successful season by number of tags punched because uh, you're kind of missing the point if that's all you're going off of. Uh, anyway, hopefully y'all are taking advantage of that, maybe getting out there for the last part of the crappie spawn because it's still going on too. There's so much to do, so much to see, never a dull moment when you're living the wildlife. That is for sure. Anyway, what's on the docket for today? Let me tell you, y'all grab a stool, pull it a little closer up to the campfire here. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos because we've got a lot to get into. Off the top, we'll be joined by a true big buck assassin. This guy's killed five, yes, that's right, five 200-inch deer in the past five seasons. All low fence, free range. But here's the kicker. He's 81 years old. Don Holden from uh, the Houston area will jump on with us here momentarily, and he'll talk about those experiences knocking down these uh, Boone and Crockett bucks in South Texas at such a uh, advanced age. So he's he's spry, though. He's with it. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be a good visit, and we're certainly looking forward to uh, having Don on the show. Then we'll shift gears, head down to the Texas coast, and tackle the red snapper issue if you aren't aware News came down this week that recreational anglers will enjoy all of a three-day red snapper season. Are you kidding me? That's just absolutely criminal. The feds are stealing from us. There's no other way to put it. Our Coastal Fisheries Director, Robin Rikers, will be here to uh, help maybe talk us off the ledge. I don't know. Maybe he's uh, on the ledge with us, but we'll figure all that stuff out with Robin coming up here in just a little bit. And then we will uh, visit with outdoor writer Michael R. Shea. We'll discuss his piece, Welcoming Whitetails, which is featured in the latest American Frontiersman magazine. It's a great read, offers a lot of insight, some stuff that you can do to make your place a whitetail magnet. You know, what's going to bring deer to you as opposed to staying on the neighbors? Uh, well, he's got some tips that we'll get into here in just a little bit. So uh, cool stuff coming up with Michael R. Shea regarding whitetail management. And then, man, I am, I'm pretty PO'd this week. Uh, had some theft occur at my dear lease, trespasser. And I'm talking about way back. My feeder is not 
by the road, friends. It's on the 940 acres. It's on the back, let's just say 200. You really have to be looking to try to steal my trail cameras and some, uh, I'm trying not to cuss here, some jerk off jacked my stuff and uh and he tried to take our generator too which would have been just as infuriating luckily we got that back i'll tell you how uh, thank you to some good neighbors but uh, we'll get into theft on deer leases and and hunting properties and i want to hear y'all stories so get ready because i'm going to ask you to email me uh, some of these situations you've dealt with on your hunting leases or land that you own uh, you can email them to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, but we'll get into that more in depth coming up at the bottom of the hour. Well, let's do a quick giveaway here uh, from our friends over at the Stillwaters Ranch, great whitetail hunting ranch in Lano, Texas. I've got their red, white, and blue America cap. It says Stillwaters Ranch on it. I've got a Stillwaters Ranch koozie, and I've got this Stillwaters Ranch tumbler. I think the brand that starts with a Y, then there's an E, and then a T and an I. Uh, Y'all probably heard of it, but got this tumbler cap and koozie that we will give away to the third person to text in the word whitetail that's whitetail to 214-289-7807 you could win the stillwaters ranch prize pack and if you're looking for a uh, whitetail hunt next season go to stillwatersranch.com let's take a break up next be joined by Don Holden. He's 81 years young, and, and he is killing more 200-inch bucks than anyone else I know. That's for sure. That's next, right here Never on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Never said too much about home or the bruises on his back. I asked him about him one time, but he never answered back. Yeah, William, you grew up hard and mean. Hey y'all, Cable here for 3 Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, 3 Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3curl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. I don't need that whiskey anymore. He's not the way I did back before. And that stuff tried to kill me. To tell the truth, 
And There's our very own Cody Jinks bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Lone Star Beer off Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. And, dude, I tell you what, Cody Jinks, he's come a long way. He was on Conan the other day. Um, the cover of Rolling Stone, our very own Cody Jinks. I love to see uh, our friends having success and people have started to notice the greatness of his music. So, rock on, Cody. It's certainly well-deserved. Um, we're about to talk with uh, probably one of the oldest deer hunters, maybe the oldest person we've ever had on the show. I don't know, Horace Gore from Texas Trophy Hunters is in his 80s as well, but uh, an octogenarian. Did you know that's what they call 80-year-olds? Anyway, 81-year-old octogenarian, octogenarian, uh, Don Holden. We'll be here momentarily. This guy is a big buck assassin. But before we get into uh, these 200-inch bucks that he's knocking down like it's his job, this segment of the show is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. It's barbecue season, friends, and that means you need to check out All Seasons lineup of grills and smokers. They've got every size, every function that you need for that backyard barbecue, or if you're taking it out to the deer lease, I've got one out there as well. Uh, you can find it all right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right. Well, without further ado, uh, what do you say we head on down to the Golden Triangle of South Texas and get into some big buck discussion with Don Holden, 81 years young. Uh, Mr. Holden, we certainly appreciate you being here. Uh, no problem. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself as a hunter and angler over the past 81 years. Well, I've probably been a hunter and an angler over 70 of those years. Yes, sir. I killed my first deer, I don't know, six, seven, something like that. Uh-huh. And been hunting and fishing ever since. Hunted all over South Texas. Hunted all over parts of the world as far as that goes. But for big deer, that's all I hunt anymore. Uh-huh. It's just South Texas' only place. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. Where did, where were you born, and where did you kill your first deer? I was born in San Angelo, Texas. I killed my first deer in McAllen, I believe it was. Okay. I spent about half of my childhood at McAllen. Uh-huh. Well, what was deer hunting like back then as far as the, you know, the deer density? Uh, were, were whitetails more scarce? Well... Back then, nobody used feeders or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But if I had my say, I'd say there was less deer then. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you you could drive down the road in what is considered the hottest place in Texas now, and you could find a house, and you could go up and knock on it and tell them you'd like to hunt there. You know the difference between a cow and a deer. And he might say, well, if you kill one, save me a hindquarter. <laughs> and that that's how you'd pay for them. Mm-hmm. But it was just completely different than now. Well, I guess the success rate was a lot less back then if there were no, uh, you know, obviously oh, no feeders. Yes. And... A, a bunch of land. South Texas is so full of thick brush that you can't walk them up. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of tails, and that's all. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that still holds true today if you were just to say, hey, I'm going to walk through the Mesquite Flats and try to kill me a deer, you know. You can damn near forget that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've never hunted in uh, McAllen, but I've hunted plenty in, in Webb County uh, with a good buddy. And That's a good place. Yeah, yeah. I killed my biggest uh, free-range buck there 
about five or six years ago. Um, how? Let me ask you this: as far as the equipment from back then compared to today, I mean, I don't know if you guys even wore camouflage back then. It might have just been, you know, like... I don't wear I don't wear camouflage today. <laughs> you don't. A deer is mostly he's mostly uh, colorblind. Mm-hmm. There's only about three colors you can see. And that's orange, green, and something else. Uh huh. And everything's green down there. <laughs> right, right. But now, are you more of a rifle or a bow hunter? Both. Uh huh. Both. I killed uh, two or three of my two hundreds with a bow. Uh huh. Yeah. Are you drawing back a compound or a crossbow or? No, I have to use a crossbow. I'm blind in one eye, and my depth perception won't let me shoot. A regular bow. Okay. Okay. It goes way to the right every time. <laughs> okay. Well, so that's what I did want to talk about today. You know, over the past five years, and and I came across um, this article in Lone Star Outdoor News. Folks can check that out if they want to. Um, but basically, it chronicled your last five years as a whitetail hunter, and you've taken a 200-inch deer in each of those seasons on the family's low fence uh, lease there in uh, what is it, Maverick County now? Maverick County, yes. Uh-huh. So how big is that lease? We have about 16,000 acres, something like that. Okay. No, wait a minute. Excuse me. It's about 14,000. Okay. Right. And how long have how long have you guys – I know your son, Brett, uh, he's actually been on our show before. He's a uh, – he's notorious for catching big swordfish off the well, – Well, he's notorious camp. for getting big deer, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, but – He's one of those guys that – no matter what he does, he wants to be the best at. Yes, there's no doubt and about he, that. He's proven it on the deer lease. Of course, he's proven it as a swordfish too. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, he's been on the show before to talk sword fishing, and I, w- I was going to ask you though: is that is uh, the offshore fishing something you did a lot of, or is that more? I don't. I don't do a lot of it. Yeah. He's got both boats in Costa Rica now, and I've been down there once or twice. Okay. Okay. Well, back to uh, to Maverick County on on uh, the family lease there. He's been obviously managing this place very well to produce these giant bucks, um, and even came up with his own deer feed, double down deer feed. That's what did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you, if you look at the neighbors' places, I mean, surrounding your your lease, do they have the same quality of deer? No, they have the same quality we started with. Okay. They had some good deer. Uh-huh. Lots of like one sixties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh and some one seventies and some one eighties, but I haven't heard of anything any bigger. Sure. Sure. So it's your strict management plan and then the double down deer feed? That's that's what's done it. Uh-huh. Okay. Management first and then the double down deer feed and after that we started that or my son did. He started making his own feed, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And we didn't have a 200 on there until about six years ago. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, and then what is the typical age of a trophy buck you guys are targeting? Well, we shoot a lot older than most people do. Mm-hmm. We found out that they really bloom somewhere around eight and nine. It used to be old story was four and five, but that's not true. Right, right. Okay, so we'll talk about the first 200 inter that you shot five years ago. Um, and with all these bucks, are these ones that you've been watching on trail camera? 
and specifically set out to hunt? Most of them. Uh-huh. We get a couple like the last one I killed that nobody's ever seen. Oh, wow. We got so much, we got so much acreage there that it's not uncommon to see a deer you haven't ever seen before. Uh-huh. And so, well, the first one, was that a crossbow or a rifle? It was a crossbow. And what did it score? He was, I think he was between 206, yes. Okay. Okay, and so then run through the the next four years after that, and I mean this hit lit, this I mean you've just been on a, a rampage here taking these two hundred inch monsters. <laughs> I, I can't say that. Um, well, it's rare to kill one two hundred inch deer in your life, you know. And for someone that was a dream. Yeah, for someone to do it five years in a row, and uh, in their in their golden years like yourself is uh, is very impressive. Well, I've seen a couple, three more that was just as big. Really. <laughs> Maybe one of them was even bigger quite a bit. Huh. Wow. Okay. Well, so the first one went 206, which you took with a crossbow. What about uh, the, the next one? Well, now you're catching my old age because <laughs> my memory is lousy, but they all ranged uh, 204, 205 right in there. Uh-huh. Okay. And next one was with a bow, too. Mm-hmm. And then you... And I'm, yeah, I think the third one was with my bow, Okay. And then you've shot and, the last two, I guess, with a rifle? Well, yeah. They were in a situation where you had to. Sure. Oh, you, yeah. you wasn't going to get a bow shot with them. Uh-huh. And the last one, that was the first time I'd ever seen that deer. Wow. And, well, we generally build a bow blind, you know, real close. Mm-hmm. And we hunt out of it. And you can't hardly see it when we get through with them. Yeah. I mean, they look like the foliage. Hmm. So you're and, waiting for the right wind in these. Yeah. 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 And most of them was with with it, a little less than thirty yards. Some of them closer. Uh, I killed one that was a typical ten, and he is way up there. I think he netted one ninety eight and something. Oh wow. Wow, I think he was two oh four for a ten altogether. That's incredible. Oh. Now, are the bucks down there in your part of the world? Would you say that they just they have a lot of mass or tall tines or a lot of wit? Well, they got it all. <laughs> They've got it all. Yeah, I've yeah. seen bucks down there get on our double down feed, and we'll let them go up, and generally about seven years they drop. You might have a 180 there that drops to a 150, huh. and then the next year come back as a 200 and something. Wow! Hmm. And it's just unbelievable. Some of them are extremely heavy. Some of them got extremely long tines, and some of them are extremely wide. I think the widest one we killed on there was about 30 inches. Holy moly! Wow! For low fence, that's just absolutely incredible. It's unbelievable, mm-hmm. but I, I blame every bit of that on my son and mm-hmm. his management and his feed. Yes, yes. Well, and I'd heard, I'd actually talked to Brett about the double down deer feed on the phone just because I'd, I'd heard about it through the grapevine, and there's a lot of folks out there that are using it now that, I mean, are yes, seeing there is. incredible results with bucks on their own places. Um, let me ask you this. Do you have a buck already on the hit list for next fall? No, i got a couple I want to look at. Uh-huh. I don't know what they're going to be because they had dropped dropped last year. Yeah. And I think they're both going to bloom out this year. Hmm. 
we got we got a lot of them with uh, I killed one with a 22 inch double beam. Wow. And our emblem has got a double down emblem has a drop double drop on it. I killed him. Huh. And there's we get lots of drops. Yeah. And I, I went through most of my life and I always said and this is this ain't been that many years ago. Before we got this ranch, I said if I ever see a drop pine deer on the courthouse yard, I'm going to shoot that sucker and then try to figure some way to get him out. <laughs> uh, well, and now you're shooting double droppers that are in the 200 inch class. Oh yeah, I've got one that's got four drops on it. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Well, and never never seen one until we got this lease. Well, I'd seen one. Uh huh. But the first thing I ever killed was on this leash. Yeah. I just figure I'm a little bit smarter than they are. <laughs> and if they get very damn close, he's got a problem. Yeah. Oh. That's my challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is it? Is it Well, down there in South Texas, it doesn't get as cold as other places. But uh, does that stuff weigh on you when you're, you know, these days? Um, if we If we have a wet year, it's so green down there. There's a lot of the bucks that you don't even see. Uh-huh. There was probably 40 or 50 bucks that we know was there that we didn't even see this last year. Mm. And then when it's drought, that's when I like it. They, they'll come to the feed mm-hmm. and they'll come early instead of at night. And you've got a better chance. And to me, the horns get better when it's a drought. They get heavier. Huh. Okay. Right on. Well, we certainly uh, we certainly appreciate your time today, Mr. Holden. Congrats on uh, this this hot streak of just knocking down 200 inch bucks. <laughs> and uh, it's a you know it's an inspiration to me and for I imagine anyone else out there listening that you know you're 81 and you're still out there uh, you know with your crossbow chasing these big South Texas bruisers. Oh, I will be <laughs> until until I ain't here no more. Yeah. I just I just hope that somebody listens to it and they let let their bucks go until they get big. Because you know if you kill a 170, you you're not going to have a 180. Mm-hmm. And if you kill a 180, not a 190, and so forth. Yes, sir. We passed up so many 180s and 90s that you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, and you've seen in your lifetime the shift from if it's brown, it's down to you know strict management policy like uh, you guys have on on your lease. I Most imagine. definitely. If you see a buck out there that looks like a good buck, everybody will bring a picture of him in, and we'll study that picture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times we know the deer, and we know how old he is. Then if he's big enough and old enough, well, that's a shooter. Uh-huh. Well, awesome. Well, we certainly appreciate it, Mr. Holden. I appreciate it. I All appreciate right. you calling. Good luck this next season. Yes, sir. Thank uh- you. Wow. So there you have it. Uh, some big buck discussion just goes to show you that, um, if you put the right food out there and have a good management plan in place, you never know what could happen. Uh, that being said, I mean, the golden triangle of South Texas already has great genetics, but they've definitely taken it a step further on the Holden place. Uh, and speaking of Mr. Holden, 81 years old and still sharp as a tack. What a treat. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas' premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forge Oats, 
Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll head down to the Gulf Coast. Man, more bad news regarding red snapper regulations. If you're a recreational angler like myself, you're getting shafted. And I'll tell you how next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Not tonight at the no-tail motel. Hey, y'all, Cable here for John X Safaris, a second-generation safari outfit located on South Africa's beautiful Eastern Cape. I'm heading there in July for my first safari. If you're interested in experiencing South Africa, hunting animals like kudu, zebra, bushbuck, eland, and also if you're into the big five, they've got you covered on that front as well. But you can find all of their packages, the amenities, lodging, food, everything right there at johnxsafaris.co.za. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing, a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Tidal Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TidalRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from the Deadliest Catch. You're listening to the Lone Star Show? Lone Star Outdoors Show. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from the Deadliest Catch, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Perfect. a poor man working in a rice-filled maze And a barefoot boy on a jetty plank as he walks into the goal Alright, thank you, Captain Sig. Thank you, Shane Smith and the Saints. The Coast is the name of that one. Love that tune there. I'm Cable Smith. Welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Also, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff, Power Players. Tell you what, man. Uh, going back, I watched a lot of Deadliest Catch over the years. I don't even know if it's on the air anymore. But seriously, I probably watched... Five or six, maybe even seven seasons of that show religiously. And uh, it was one of my all-time favorites. There's no doubt. Uh, but anyway, we are about to talk some Red Snapper. Oh, an always controversial issue, unfortunately. It doesn't look like things are getting any better for you or I, uh, the recreational anglers out there. And we'll have Texas Parks and Wildlife, Coastal Fisheries Director, and member of the Gulf Coast Fishery Management Council, Robin Rikers here momentarily, but first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. Whether you're headed to the lake or to the coast, uh, you dang sure better have a good pair of polarized sunglasses. And Costa, well, they've never let me down. That 580p lens technology, still the gold standard in the industry, and you can mix and match any frame, style, and 580p lens color. I mean, literally, the combinations are <laughs> limitless, and you can find it all right there at CostaDelmar.com. Costa Sunglasses, see what's out there. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is a longtime friend of the show and the Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director. Robin Rikers, thanks for being here, brother. Well, glad to be back visiting with you, Cable, uh, and I'm doing just fine. I hope you are as well. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt, no doubt. It's a great time of year. 
Um, and a busy one for you. I know you've been at the Capitol here what, the past couple weeks now. Yeah, we have uh, obviously with the legislative session going on, uh, quite a quite a few items can draw us over there. And particularly, we've got some oyster bills that are that are moving through the system, and and you know are, are critical for oyster fisheries habitat, and and for both for our oyster fishermen as well as you know that that great habitat that those oyster reefs provide in our estuaries. Um, you know, water filtration, uh, uh, basically a habitat for a lot of juvenile fish and, and uh, just, you know, basically a bedrock habitat that we need to have there and, and have it protected. Wow, okay, so mostly oyster-related stuff there. What, uh, and, and I'm not familiar with the significance of Texas oyster fisheries from, you know, from a commercial standpoint, but is it a pretty significant one? Well, it it is and has been. Uh, it in Louisiana, of course, and the Gulf Coast as a whole has been probably the second leading producer and was was probably leading when Virginia and Maryland weren't doing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, with storms and drought and other things that have occurred here in the Gulf Coast, really all all of the states and their oyster production is suffering somewhat, and you know still struggling to recover from some of those big events that that impacted them. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, what uh, single most talked about or what is the most controversial issue that you deal with as our coastal fisheries director? Well, most recently, two come to mind. Uh, and the first one would be red snapper. And then of the course. second one recently has been oysters. Uh, but but certainly red snapper, uh, when we talk about fin fish here off the state and, and, and fishing, uh, the, you know, that impacts private recreational fishing, that's just been a huge one we've, we still have on our plate. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, and this is nothing new. I mean, Robin, we've been uh, you've been coming on our show for five or six years now, and it seems like every year, inevitably, we get back to Red Snapper uh, one way or the other. So let's talk about this season. You know, it seems like every summer it comes out that, you know, we're going to have a shorter season than this summer previous. Uh, what's going on with the recreational season for uh, this summer here in 2017? Yeah, unfortunately, we just got that news uh, two days ago, and and uh, the the news is that we are going to be reduced from nine days down to a three 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 day federal fishing season off of federal waters um, across the Gulf. And uh, the as you may recall from our discussion last year, was the first year when the charter for hire groups, the party boats, and the the people you might hire on a charter vessel, uh, their season actually went up three days from 46 to 49 days. But again, when you see a stock that is rebounded to heights that many people have never seen before, to have days of fishing continue to go down, it just doesn't make good common sense. Yeah, so who's deciding this and why does it keep going down while the fishery keeps getting stronger? And and we've talked about this before, but I know firsthand because I go every year Got a buddy whose dad has an offshore boat, and we go out of uh, Port Aransas, and every year we catch bigger fish, we catch more fish, and we catch them faster than we did the year before. Yeah, and it's it you know the construct of the Magnuson-Stevens Act basically has us managing this fishery under a quota-based system, and that quota is determined looking far off into the future of a rebuilt fishing stock. Um, and so, you know, we're projecting that out and, and, and it almost is reasonable. Now we're now projecting it out to 2032 when we were doing that in 2010 and 2005, it didn't make, uh, you know, it, it sounded much more unreasonable, mm-hmm. 
but still trying to project bio, biological parameters out that far, you know, we're just not that good at it, but yet the, the, the law states that you have to do it that way, or certainly when it works through the whole National Marine Fisheries Service system, that's what, what we're being told. And, you know, it, it, you're exactly right. The size of fish has probably almost doubled, if not getting close to tripled from when we first started rebuilding. We're seeing fish in places that we've never seen them before. They're getting in shallower water. Uh, they're going to places in Florida where for a long time people weren't catching them. And yet, because we're in this kind of uh, IF or this quota-based system, we can't really go and and really take the take advantage of this rebuilding fish stock that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just so infuriating because you know the commercial guys seems like they get everything, the charter captains get a taste, and then the rec- recreational anglers like myself, they get what I would equate to like a you know a heaping pile of dung in the form of a three-day season. So. It just doesn't really add up, and, and and I don't know, part of it, we've talked about this too, but to say that the fishery off the Texas coast is the same as the fishery off the Florida coast when these fish don't migrate, you know, um, that significant of a distance, they pretty much, they lock down to one reef, and that's where they're going to spend their time. You know, they might go to the next reef over, but by and large, red snapper are not a migratory fish. No, you're you're exactly right, and that's certainly one of the reasons why we continue to promote both at the council level and at the congressional level um, uh, the notion of uh, some sort of regional-based management system. Because, uh, yeah, the the fish off of Texas don't move to Florida, mm-hmm. um, and we have plenty of studies that that help show that all across the Gulf. And then that way we would be managing the stocks off our Texas coast, and if our Texas coast can withstand more fishing days uh, based on the amount of people we have going, then we should be able to take advantage of that. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. It's pretty infuriating. Uh, and I'll tell you this, and and while obviously I have not partaken in this, I have talked to anglers coming in uh, at the docks that they're go, they'll go out and they'll catch uh, fish in, you know, federal waters and then say that they just caught them in state waters if, if, if they were to be stopped by a, a game warden. And that's their mentality, and they say, you know what, I, I didn't used to do this, but I, you know, I want to catch red snapper, it's my right, you know, I, I should have a, a stake in this resource as well, and so that's what I'm going to do. Well, I mean, and certainly don't condone No, that I'm not condoning it, don't, in, don't anyone in, misinterpret that. Yeah. Yeah, I, but, but, you know, when people have no faith in the system that they're working under, um, and they continue to see their opportunities diminish, um, you know, that's when people do things that they otherwise wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly our enforcement folks are there and they're trying to enforce that boundary and are going to continue to do that. But, you know, recognizing that need for fishing opportunity, because that's what self-fishing licenses, that's what, that's what people go when they go down to the coast. They want to be able to go out and catch something. Um, you know, that's that's what our commission recognized a long time ago here at Parks and Wildlife. And, and that's why we keep those state waters open. And there's really some good fishing in state waters as well. Oh yes, there is, and uh, and those fish are getting bigger too. I I think because a uh, couple, I think it was two summers ago, we missed the window for the the federal season, and so we still wanted to go out, and we had to go a lot farther. Uh, I think we almost went over to Port Mansfield out of Port Aransas, uh, but the fishing was phenomenal. So there's still some big fish inside those nine nautical uh, miles. Yeah, and we're, you know, our, our artificial reef program is also trying to help there by, uh, we've got a, a great partner down in the valley uh, who's who's doing a lot of that on their own as a community. 
Uh, we've put some nearshore reefs in the Corpus area, but more recently, just, just recently, um, we really have populated three sites in that Matagorda, Palacios, Port O'Connor kind of area there um, that, that are three nearshore reefs that are going to provide some of that you know, state water fishing as well. Excellent, excellent. Let me ask you this. Is idle iron still posing a real threat to our artificial reef system in the Gulf of Mexico, which for anyone that isn't aware is the uh, largest artificial reef system in the entire world? Well, I I just want to echo what you just said about the, those those platforms out there. They have absolutely provided that that wonderful ecosystem, artificial reef ecosystem that has allowed, frankly, red snapper to populate all across the Gulf and probably reach abundance levels never seen before. Mm-hmm. As well as you know, it's there for other many other species as well. But um, as far as the idle iron policy, where they were removing a lot of rigs um, because they their lease had run out and um, due to some issues, all of a sudden it was being enforced that they get those rigs out of there quickly, uh, and it meant that artificial reef programs weren't getting to take advantage of those. Um, it seems like we've been able to work through that issue now, and for the most part, uh, we're back in business as an artificial reef program and trying to get as many of those when they have to come out as we can. Okay, that's good news on that front. Um, I guess last question I'm going to ask you here today, Robin, is, are there any other uh, species um, on, on the uh, on the fishing side of things that are of concern right now? I mean, it seems like flounder, redfish, and trout are all doing very well. Yeah, we had some. Uh, as far as what our our typical you know uh, fishing bays and estuaries, everything is looking pretty doggone good. I, I just want people to go take advantage of it. Uh, we, we've made some minor tweaks in some of our joint management with federal species on sharks and, and uh, um, a couple other species, but they're just tweaks to get in line on some, some minimum size limits. But population-wise, across the, across the state and, uh, and from you know, Port, Port Isabel to, to Port Arthur, we're doing pretty good. And, and uh, I, like I said, I, the, the good thing here is everybody just needs to go take advantage of it. Well, that's what we'd like to hear. Well, hey, Robin, it's always great checking in with you. We certainly appreciate the information today. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, folks can get out there in that three-day window, and the you know the wind will lay down, and get out there and catch some big red snapper. Yeah, you, you better hurry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but thanks right. for having me. There you go, Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director and member of the Gulf Coast Fisheries Management Council, Robin Rikers, our old friend. Tell you what, um, he's a pretty even keel guy. That's about as fired up as I've heard Robin get. And, six years of covering this topic uh sounds like he doesn't believe that the system works and i think just in our off-air discussion that there's a very realistic chance that there will not be a recreational red snapper season next year i mean that's the path we're on here and it probably is going to take an act of congress to get this situation rectified it's it's criminally wrong i mean those are our fish you and i cable and the listener those are our red snapper, and we're being denied the right to fish them. And I can understand if the fishery was depleted, but it is as vibrant and healthy as it's ever been. So pretty much pisses me off, I'm not going to lie, and it should piss you off too. Uh, that segment of the show was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in the Come and Take It can. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Let's knock out a quick break here. When we come back, we'll be joined by outdoor writer Michael R. Shea. 
And we've got some whitetail management tips to get into, including wind mapping your property. You might obviously check the weather and see which way the wind is blowing before you climb into a stand. But do you know how the wind actually moves specifically through your property? It might help you bag that big buck next season. We'll get into it next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. So you know I love my guns, and one of my favorite hobbies is target shooting. Grant Stinchfield here. Recently, I got to experience what it's like to shoot at the Rockwall Gun Club. It's an amazing place, sitting on 70 acres, but what makes the Rockwall Gun Club so special is not just its first-class state-of-the-art facilities. Yes, it even has a 500-yard rifle range where your results show up on an iPad. But for me, it's the private atmosphere. It's like a country club for gun owners, 100% members only. And what's so cool is that many of the members are law enforcement officers, so it's common to be shooting next to the pros. The Rockwall Gun Club has 19 100-yard rifle stations, 19 25-yard pistol stations, and if archery is your thing, there's even a range for bow hunters. Now is the time to act. Become a founding member like me. The incentives they're offering are too good to pass up. The Rockwall Gun Club offers family and corporate memberships. Visit rockwallgunclub.com to set up a tour and see firsthand what it's like to be part of a private shooting experience. Visit rockwallgunclub.com. That's rockwallgunclub.com. Tell them Grant Stinchfield sent you. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Just don't ask me, cause I won't tell you I'm much too proud when the truth is I'm just lonesome. Lonesome Down and Out is the name of that one there from Jason Eady. Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, thank you also to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. They keep us on the air, and uh, we appreciate them as well as appreciate you guys and gals for tuning in. We are all set to get into some whitetail discussion here this morning with Michael Arche. Uh, author of a recent piece I came across titled Welcoming Whitetails. But before we do that, this segment is brought to you by the all-new Drive Over Shock. Hauling an ATV, Jeep, or golf cart on a trailer? Looking to make the vehicle secure quickly? Dock it with the Drive Over Shock. I'm not kidding you. Uh, when I see a product that 
really excites me. I want to tell you guys and gals about it. So we're thrilled to have Drive Over Shock as a part of the show because I'm tired of hauling my ATV around with latches, ratchet straps, hand crank wedges. It's just inconvenient. The Drive Over Shock fixes all that. Check it out, driveovershock.com. All right, uh, without further ado, let's bring on our next guest, a freelance outdoor writer, Michael R. Shea. You've seen his stuff in publications like Field and Stream, American Frontiersman Magazine, and others. Uh, Michael, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. My pleasure. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as a hunter and outdoor writer? Yeah, um, I'm, uh, I've uh, uh, started outdoor writing, I probably eight, uh, maybe almost 10 years ago. Um, I was originally a newspaper reporter Mm -hmm. and I grew up fishing. I didn't really grow up hunting that much. And I was working at a, at a newspaper in California and got a chance to cover duck hunting. I was in my early twenties and, uh, actually I shot a, shot a canvas back. I think it was my third hunt and it just set the hook and Uh like my entire life kind of changed and got got deep into duck hunting and deer hunting and bow hunting uh ended up getting a internship at outdoor life magazine when i was in uh in new york for grad school and basically we've done something with either outdoor life or field and stream um for you know the better part of six seven years now um i'm freelance so i write for a bunch of different publications um but uh, but yeah, I was I'm like one of the one of the fortunate few, or I consider myself fortunate because I get to I get to hunt a lot, I get to write about it, so life's pretty good. Yeah, right on. Well, yeah, for me it was a pair of green wing teal drakes that came in, and it was a, a first solo hunt I did with my lab, and that was what what got me. So we're kind of cut from the same cloth. I grew up mostly bass fishing, and then I see I'm 35. About the time I was 21. I got this lab with a girlfriend. She left, the dog stayed, and we started hunting. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 awesome. I I grew up in New England, and um, my dad was a rabbit fisherman, so we we caught it. We really chased the striped bass, um, yeah, hard and largemouth fishing. And then I was on this newspaper assignment, and I was in this blind in California, and I was doing a story on three generations, and I watched this kid who was probably. I, I don't know, 10, maybe 12, because it was California. I watched him shoot his first bird, which was a green-winged teal, and his dog retrieved it that he'd known since it was a puppy, and his grandfather and his dad were in the blind and were taking photos, and I put the camera down. This bird comes screaming, like a, almost like a number two station at Skeet, and I just came up. I didn't even think, and I dumped it, and uh, it was the first canvas back shot out of that blind and like, I don't even know what they said, five, six years. Wow. <laughs> and it was just like, this This is awesome. Like, I can I can do more of this. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. But let me tell you this. It was, uh, it was a piece that you wrote for American Frontiersmen, and, and this is a really cool publication. I encourage everybody to check it out. Uh, lots of great stuff on here. And it's it deviates from, you know, outdoor life and field and stream where it has uh, stuff on, more stuff on trapping and homesteading and, backwoods living um and and i came across uh this article that you penned welcoming whitetails which really caught my attention and you wrote this you know relating to your homestead which you purchased uh, a couple years back but you know it applies to any farm ranch or deer lease when it comes to understanding and improving whitetail habitat 
Uh, so I'd like to dive into this today. Tell us about your place, though. I forgot how many acres it is. Yeah, it's um, it's small. It's 38 acres, just over 38 acres, and I'm in uh, I'm in central New York. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't I don't know how familiar you are with New York State, but like western New York, um, is just ag. You know, it looks like Iowa. It's fairly flat. You know, big sure. ag dairy country, and then uh, the the central New York is more of like almost like where the Catskills taper off, and so there's the Finger Lakes where I am, a lot of big lakes, and then the, the mountains of the Catskills below that. I've skied so there where, before, so, yeah. Oh, right on. So yeah. the, the where I am, I'm sort of pinned between, like, the mountains and the ag country. Uh-huh. So that gives you kind of an idea of the topography I'm dealing with. My southern neighbor is a state forest, and so I'm kind of, like, on the south-facing slope of this hill, um, outside of town, dirt road. It's about, like I said, 38 acres of heavily um, forested land. So Sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Sometimes I wish I had more tillable acres, make my life a little easier for food plots, but uh-huh. uh, but I'll, I'll get there. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about this piece here, because uh, you talk about the importance of natural browse, and you mentioned food plots, but I think sometimes food plots are... I don't want to say overvalued, uh, but I think folks think that they provide more food for the deer than they actually do because most of the deer's diet is still not going to come from a food plot. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and that, I think, I I've, I lean a lot on experts. Um, and one of my good buddies, Neil Doherty, is like the de facto guy on food plots. I think he wrote the first actual book that was published on food plots. And he's... Um, He's real quick to point out food plot type foods only make up about 40% of what a deer eats. You know, they're browsers, so they need grasses and forbs and native vegetation. Weeds. Um, weeds. Yeah. Weeds, you know. So a real quick way to boost your your carrying capacity for deer is to just grow more weeds, which is good news for us because it's easier. <laughs> right. Easier than killing a field and planting corn and getting a big tractor. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't discount those, you know, the natural browse, those weeds, all that stuff. They're important, you know. That's what deer eat. Uh, so, also, something that really stood out for me was, was wind mapping your property. And folks, you know, they understand, uh, like on my deer lease, I know which way the wind typically, typically is going to blow during, you know, X time of year. But you take it a, a step further here. And and you actually wind map it, and and you went on the 38 acres. There's different, let's say, just little pieces where the wind's gonna funnel differently, or it's gonna, you know, come down a creek bed bed differently. Absolutely. Um, you can't you can't think like, oh well, it's uh in in my bow season, the dominant wind is a northwest wind, and so when it's blowing, the weatherman says it's northwest it's northwest at my stand. Mm-hmm. You have to test all of that. And I think like hunters are really good at this cuz we're trying to get close to deer. Um but you can you can get sort of a an overall map of what your place is doing fairly easily with just a little effort. Um so you'll know, you know, when that weatherman calls for a northwest wind, it's actually hard west in this stand and just, you know, a couple hundred yards in a different stand. Uh, there might be more north in that than than west, mm-hmm. and you and you do it by 
by getting out there, seeing, getting the weather report when it's calling for a steady, say, north wind. Get out there with a, a thing of bubbles or milkweeds and get to your spots and, and throw, the, throw the milkweeds, blow the bubbles, kind of see what way the wind is moving. I found, um, like, there's, there's basically on my property, there's a big creek on the east, and then there's a smaller stream that kind of cuts into the, uh, into the creek. So you can almost think of, like, the house, the, the, the home buildings and the yard and the barn are sort of in the middle of this property, and there's, like, a U of creeks around it. Mm-hmm. Well, what I found is when there's um, uh, north west wind on the east side of that stream as soon as it gets in that little ravine and i use that word uh generously it's like hardly a ravine it just dips down a little bit and there's this trickle of a stream it takes that wind and just pushes it north Hmm. it takes it takes the west out of that wind and i cross my favorite stand on the property i cross that stream to get to it um so that's the kind of thing that you want to figure out. You can get a little more tactical as you're moving, as you're picking your sands or moving in and out of the woods. If you have this real, like, deep understanding of your microclimate, um, or not microclimate's the wrong word, but kind of how the wind moves through your place. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I have to be honest, I've never taken bubbles out. I've always just looked at the weather and be like, oh, okay, you know, and just... That's really a half-ass approach when you, when you when you break it down and read this article. It's like, man, okay, there's there's more to it than that. Um, Big fields, you know, that have that generate thermals uh-huh. will do the same thing. Um, I got I my where my parents are. Um, they're basically in a it's like an older subdivision, and there's a strip of woods and a big cornfield behind it. And I, it took me years to figure out that funnel because I would get in that funnel and I'd see deer sign everywhere. I'd get awesome trail cam pictures. And if the wind was blowing west, the deer bumped me. And if the wind was blowing east, the deer would, I, would, I would bump the deer. They would know I was there. So it was like whatever wind was going on, I couldn't get them in this funnel. So I basically got, I talked to a bunch of people, talked to Neil, got close to the edge of the field and got super high in the tree. Mm-hmm. So I'm really up there, and then I think what's happened is something about the thermal in the field, and again, I'm no, I'm no real expert in this, was basically pulling my wind out of that, of that funnel. And as soon as I figured out, rather than playing the weather report, but sort of play what's happening as that field warms or cools, all of a sudden it was like a deer parade every time I was in that. <laughs> um, right on. So, uh, so it, there's definitely more to it than just looking at the weather report. Um, Let's talk about planning your hunting access. This is something that every bow hunter specifically uh, deals with and has to think about, you know, if I put a tree stand in that tree, can I get in there undetected? And and I have this one hot, I'll just call it corner, uh, kind of funnel, uh, pinch point, if you will, on my lease where there's always deer there. But you cannot get in there unless it's early afternoon. I mean, going in in the morning, forget it. They're going to bust you. And then, you know, also sneaking out after dark, trying to get out undetected, that's very difficult too. Um, so that's something that you have to think about. How did you, and what, you know, what factors were you considering when, when planning uh, how you're going to get to a stand on your property? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think in a perfect world, there would be a, uh, a road or some kind of access point all the way around your place. 
so you could figure out how to get in based on what the wind right. is doing. Um, in my in in my situation, um, I haven't had to work too hard on that one uh-huh. because my you know the home site is sort of in the middle of the piece. Um, so I you know kind of go back to that wind mapping. Like I had to kind of figure out where where I wanted to cross the stream and how I wanted to get into the side of my property I like to hunt. Um, but it wasn't, it, it, in my particular case, I'm sort of set up so there is is pretty good access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's one of the, the biggest struggles, you know, for, for bow hunter. If you can get in undetected, and, and like I said, some stands you can only do that in the morning, and some stands you can only do that in the. Uh, I don't want to say you can sneak in in the evening because that would be totally false. You, at this spot I was telling you about, I mean, it's if you're not in there by two o'clock, you're not getting in there, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, some of the best bow hunters I know like never hunt the morning. You yeah. Know? They don't want to get into that field or get into that food plot edge while the deer are out there. You know. Yeah. Um. So their access is planned about how they can get to that field edge while the deer are bedded down you know yeah. and if, if you get into if you know where the deer are bedded or if you're doing management practices to try to get the deer bedded in a certain part of your property like that can all factor into to access you know if you have the if you've done the scouting or know the land enough to know kind of where they are and where they're walking um yeah uh, yeah. You can figure that out. Yeah. And like we said, your place relatively small, thirty eight acres, but this applies to uh three thousand acres. It's all it's all the same science, just uh expanded on, on bigger places. Talk about the importance of chainsaw management. It's kind of self explanatory, but uh there's more scientific stuff there as well as far as what you're doing with the chainsaw, why you're doing it. Uh and then you know, you went on to talk about releasing wild foods as part of that, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The you can do a lot more with the chainsaw than you can with the tractor. You know, you can open up um, a lot more natural foods um, that the de- that make up the majority of that deer's um, diet. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to think about that. Um, one of the most obvious is pruning. You know, if you had was one of the first things I did. I have a bunch of wild apple trees, and I went in there and I cut down firewood trees around them to open them up to more sunlight and then I pruned out the dead wood try not to take more than um, a third of the dead stuff in any given year especially on an old tree mm-hmm. um, so so I did that I even went kind of light with that they didn't respond really um, too well these particular trees did and they're they're pretty deep in the woods and there's not great sunlight so um, I think that's one of the factors. So I actually held back on doing it, doing it this year. Um, but really, pruning and making making sunlight is a great, is, or getting sunlight to those food trees, is a great first step. Um, the other thing too is, you know, getting sunlight just to the forest floor. Yeah. Grow up those forbs and grasses. And um, when I started thinking about this. I thought, you know, I'm just going to go in and cut down all these browse cuts, all these clear cuts to get these kind of these weeds up. Um, And then it was funny in talking to Neil, he said, well, you don't want to do that all in one year. And I have I have 38 acres and there's maybe four or five like one acre spots where I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of manageable. Like if I got on it and you know, a pile of weekends, I could have those cleared right out. But then what happens is 
everything that grows up is all the same age. It's almost like deer. All my weeds are the same age class. Right. So you want to stagger that work over years. And another thing you can do, too, is you can cage. You know, and some people actually do this with, like, chicken wire, or you could do it with, like, a treetop. So you're cutting to get that sunlight up, but then leaving treetops in the area so things will grow slower and the deer can't get to th- get to the weeds that are protected in those in those treetops, or mm-hmm. sort of like caged off by the treetops. So that's one way to give you sort of a variety of ages and sizes and types of um, of uh, of weeds. But then the other thing, and um, I don't know if this is reflected in the story, like I, I did, I went through my property with a a forester, and I got talking to him about what I planned on doing. And when I told him about clear cuts, he's like, well, you probably want to get all this honeysuckle out. And up by the barn, you should get all the bamboo out, huh. too. Because you don't want to, not all weeds are created equal, yeah. right? So, so you have to you have to kind of drill down and know what you would be growing by um, by releasing you know releasing this vegetation. Um, Honeysuckle is a big problem in my place. So before I get running the tra- chainsaw, I gotta I gotta pull them and get them out of there because it's not something I wanna I wanna cultivate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. In our part of the world, it's more uh, I'd say like cedar and mesquite prime candidates for uh clear cuts you know we have tons of and it's texas is so diverse and so big you know we have areas that are full of cedar areas that are full of mesquite areas that are you know more hardwood forest pine forest in east texas but uh you know it applies uh to those situations as well just uh, opening up that forest floor especially is important um talk about plotting a plot going back to the food plots there's a lot that goes into actually um, determining the best place for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, uh, and have you have you plotted have have you put any food plots in on your place? I haven't yet. I actually just uh, just started running the rototiller last uh-huh. weekend, so that that process is beginning. Um, but uh, so it's happening. It's I'll be here two years in September, um, but. Where, so where this is all the, this is like the infantile stages like of your uh, whitetail management. Oh, absolutely! Really absolutely. cool project. <laughs> very, uh, very new, and the previous owners didn't really do a lot of wildlife anything. So it's uh-huh. just kind of it's a jungle, you know, of like northeastern uh, northeastern forest habitat. You know, no timber pre- timber stand improvements were ever done. No anything. So. Um, it looks like an overgrown mess, but it's also kind of like a, a blank canvas in a way. Yeah. Um, but the, the location of the plot, a big part of that has to do with the wind, which we already talked about. So like in my case, the west side of my property is, um, the wind is the best for our dominant winds and for the topography of the place. And then it also kind of rolls into like a, a brush lot. It was like an old pasture that has grown up. So there's already more natural food in that particular area and more cover. Um, if you compare that to like the uh, the south southeast corner of my property, there's a creek and a hemlock grove, and it's like a big pine woods. Um, the wind's not great over, over there, but even if it was, I'm dealing with a with 
very acidic soil, and giant trees I would have to take out, and it's just not conducive to tillable ground like this west side of my property is that was is kind of kind of almost like an overgrown pasture you mm-hmm. know it's more more conducive to it so so yes yeah, so that's kind of some of the the considerations the previous owner cut some trails through there and uh there's there's a lot of locusts so you know a lot of we haven't talked much about it but like financing all of this you know like i'm a writer which means i'm always broke so yeah like, how, do you get, how do you get you know an excavator in here and how do you how do you finance all i'm that? not exactly running to the bank uh celebrating my millions either so yeah yeah, yeah. well it uh it can pay for itself you know like there's like this particular corner it's uh you know there's locusts all over it and like up by us locust hot poles are selling for for high dollars so like that was another consideration about why is the food plot in that location well i took one walk through the property and saw all this like timber or board quality locusts and all these hops poles and i saw dollar signs so that can come out it's good wind it was once pasture so it you know it'll be easier to clear than my big woods Mm -hmm. and uh you know and it'll 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 finance itself to a degree once i get the the locusts out of their souls. That's really cool. <laughs> well, Mike, just uh, as we're kind of wrapping this up, uh, I think perfect segue is tie it all together. So talk about that as far as, you know, coming up with this perfect plan for a whitetail property. Yeah. So, um, you know, we you have all your different components. You have cover, you have food, um, you have your the browse cuts you made and the food plots you tilled. Um, but you have to kind of tie it all together. Uh, so one of the ways that I like to think about it, and this is something that I learned from the Doherty's is think about it like a bass fisherman and think of each component as like a piece of structure. Um, a, a white tail generally doesn't like to get about any more than 50, 60 yards from a piece of cover. So you need to make sure that everything is kind of linked together with enough travel corridors, enough cover, enough hide for them to feel comfortable. So like in my case, um, to take that western side, I have a, a overgrown pasture, really tall fields, nice kind of bedding area. Uh, and that kind of moves into this locust wood a little bit. Some of that I'm going to leave standing because it makes a nice natural fence, a nice natural screen. And then you kind of roll into the food plot. And then as you get out of the food plot, you don't go too far and you're in the spot where we hope to put it in an orchard. And then get off the orchard, you know, not more than 50, 60 yards, and you're right into our first browse cut, which is uh, where that native vegetation was. And then there's a series of those browse cuts, fruit trees and nut trees, kind of scattered through the south of the property. So you could think about it like each piece of structure is connects to the next one so if you can imagine a deer moving through the woods they have this this buffet and of food and these these places to kind of hide uh strung in a in a series right around the property you know someone who has their own deer lease these are things to consider and a lot of it i mean if you don't own the property you've got to work with your landowner uh, but they generally are pretty good uh, in my experience about letting you make improvements because at the end of the day, um, 
everyone wants better habitat, you know, they want land improvement. So a lot of times they'll even partner with you on, uh, you know, cost. If you want to get an ex excavator out there, um, that kind of stuff, they're willing to, uh, to help you. Or if they own, you know, a lot of these farmers, people that own big tracks already have the equipment there and you just tell them what you want to want done and, and, uh, they'll help you do it. So, yeah, a lot of these practices are good for agriculture and mm -hmm. they're good for timber stands. So, it's not like you're asking for anything that's going to be outside of that landowner's business plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, well, once again, the article, Welcoming Whitetails, Great Peace and American Frontiersmen. If you want to tell folks where they can uh, find more of your writings or you know, maybe your social media outlets as well. Yeah, um, my, a lot of my clips, most of my clips are on uh, michaelarche.com, and I'm on Instagram a lot, at michaelarche. Perfect. Perfect. Well, good stuff, man. I certainly do appreciate the time today. Awesome. And uh, you'll have to send us a, a photo next fall of that, that big buck that uh, finds your property very appealing. Will do. Will do. You know, I didn't really do a ton of uh, a ton of work the first year because I was laying out the plan, but I did a little chainsaw work. And the uh, after that, I caught like probably like a 135 running through the property. Nice. That's never, a, never got them, but it was kind of like a sign of saying, like, you know, moving in the right direction here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a work in progress, man. I know that's a small deer for Texas, but, like, in central New York, that's, that's, that's not a, a bad one at all. It just all. depends on what part of Texas you're in. That's a trophy for a lot of people. So, yeah. yeah. Well, cool stuff, man. I certainly enjoyed the uh, the visit. Right on, man. Thanks a lot. All right, all right. There he goes, Michael Arche. Welcoming Whitetails, the name of that piece, you can find it in the latest American Frontiersman magazine, which I picked up the other day at uh, Tractor Supply. So I'm sure you all can find it other places. That's where I get it when I'm buying corn to fill up the deer feeders, which unfortunately uh, had an issue at my deer lease <sighs> this past week. Really pisses me off. We're going to get into that next. Uh, that segment, though, was brought to you by... Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion and now San Antonio, Texas, two shops to better serve you. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all my trophy mounts for six or seven years now. They'll do the same for you, offering amazing work with fast turnaround time, and you can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Let's take a break. Up next, I'll tell you why I am one PO'd son of a gun. Man, I can't stand a thief, especially if it affects my hunting. <sighs> You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, she was born in the morning, late October, sending tone. Now she's every girl I've ever known. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing. A fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003, plus one of the owners is a range listener himself. Title Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TitleRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Cable Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, 
Visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. All right, this is Phil Robertson, better known as the Duck Commander. This is the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith, Brian Shotgun with you this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. It's great to be here talking all things outdoors with you. I'll tell you what, though, while it's great to be here visiting with you guys and gals, uh, I'm one pretty ticked off SOB this week. Uh, some shady stuff has been going on at my dearlies, which we'll get into momentarily. But first, this segment of the show. Is brought to you. Let's think happy thoughts for a minute. Uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Horizon Firearms. And custom rifles always make me happy, by the way. So if you're looking for a new custom rifle build, then check out my friends over at Horizon Firearms. They built my 7 mag. They'll build you whatever you want. Spec it out to a T in the caliber of your choice. Uh, these days, 6.5 Creedmoor and 28 Nosler are the hot things going. But uh, they'll do whatever you want. And you can find all of their work right there at horizonfirearms.com. Okay. Well, this past week, I went to the deer lease to fill feeders and just kind of check on things. I've got 940 acres in southeast Oklahoma. And some of y'all might be wondering, why do I hunt Oklahoma when it's the Lone Star Outdoors show? Well, the answer is very simple. I, I'll hunt anywhere, anytime, any place. And Oklahoma has some great deer and lease prices are more affordable than Texas. So I wanted to stay within two hours of DFW, and I found a, a nice piece of property up there. <sighs> but here's the thing, and I don't know if it's specific to Oklahoma. Well, I know it's not. It happens everywhere. But it's rampant in Oklahoma because it is such a poor state. So you get big bucks, but you get a lot of derelicts, meth heads, just shady people that are off the grid. And no offense to... Any other Okies out there who are good people because there's plenty of good people there. There's good people everywhere. 
But uh, that poverty in Oklahoma just seems to, well, increase the temptation for folks to take what isn't there. So we've been on this place. This is our second season. Well, this will be our third coming up this fall. First season, we had poachers caught on game camera way back in the uh, the thickest, deepest part of the lease. These guys came multiple times. Uh, one time they had a bow. The other time one was carrying a rifle, the other a shotgun, and the guy always had a forty five on his hip. So that's kind of, uh, it makes things a little hairy. You know, you think about what would happen if I encountered these guys while I'm sitting in my tree stand and all I've got is a bow. Luckily, thanks to all of you folks out there, I put their faces on Facebook with those pictures, and someone told us within 24 hours who they were, called the game warden, we pressed charges for trespassing, and uh, I don't think they've been back. Now, come to find this week, I head up to the lease, and, and a little backstory from this new situation. About a month ago, my landowner called and said, hey, uh, Cable, we have a problem. Somebody broke into y'all's camper, and we just have, like, we don't even have running water out there. We just have a camper with sleeping bags, a couple bunk beds, just a place to get out of the rain and cold, you know, pretty uh, bare minimum type facility. But someone broke in. They tried to steal your generator. Uh, but we got the generator back. So I was like, well, what happened? Some jerk off, broke in, drug our generator to the fence. It's like 400 yards from the camper. So it was just one dude because they drug it. And then the neighbors were driving by and said, what is that yellow thing over there in the tree by the fence? Just happened to see it, luckily for us. Uh, they called our landowner. He went and picked it up. And I guess the guy had drug it over there and was planning on going back and, and getting it. Uh, but got the generator. About that same time, my wireless stealth cam went off, like stopped sending me pictures. It sends pictures every morning and every evening, uh, transmits them to my cell phone. So great technology there. Absolutely love that camera. But sometimes during a storm, the AT&T signal in that area uh, would go out and then the camera would go offline and you'd have to go manually reset it. So I just figured, okay, my camera, you know, there's a bad cell signal and I need to go out there and fix it. Well, I get out there on Wednesday. I've got 600 pounds of corn to put in the all-seasons feeder. Hopefully get some hogs coming in so we have something to shoot at this summer. And also watch the deer grow. You know, I like seeing them start to put on their antlers. Um, but I get there and I don't have any cameras. I had two cameras set up on this uh, feed pen and they're gone. $500 wireless camera and another about $150 stealth cam. Bye-bye. Also... The guy took uh, my 12-volt battery out of the all-seasons feeder. And that thing isn't worth $15. It's just, I don't understand it. It pisses me off to no end. It, my son, my four-year-old son, he couldn't. He just couldn't wrap his head around why somebody would steal something from us and why he doesn't get to look at deer pictures in the evenings anymore before bedtime. So uh, I want to know, though. What have you guys dealt with on your leases or your property as far as poachers and thieves are concerned? Love to hear your stories. I want to read a couple of them on the air next week. Uh, hopefully some of them have happy endings as well. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out what to do here. Uh, I think a lockbox on the battery and then chaining up the cameras is, is probably the only resolution I'm going to have. I'm thinking about 
putting a laminated sign on the all-seasons feeder that says, smile, a-hole, you're on camera, and if you're looking at this, the game warden's already seen your face. I don't know. Would that deter someone, or do y'all think it would make the situation worse? I'm just looking for answers here, because I haven't had to deal with uh, theft on our deer leases in the past. Um, and like I said, Oklahoma's got great wildlife. It's it's a it's a beautiful state, really, uh, and there's tons of great people there. But man, in our little corner of southeastern Oklahoma, it is it's turning into a struggle. So maybe I need to find a new lease. I, I don't know. I like the deer there though, and landowner's great. So it'd be a shame to have to leave. But email me your experiences. Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail dot com. You can also post them to our Facebook page wall if you want. And like I said, I'm looking for three or four to possibly read on the air next week. So I want to know how y'all have dealt with these situations in the past. It sounds like I'm going to have to put a camera on my camera just to make sure it doesn't get stolen. Lock it up. Uh, It's just a real inconvenience. And I don't get it. I mean, thieves and poachers, just the worst kind of people. There's a special place in hell for those folks. There's no doubt about that. So email me your past experiences regarding this type of situation. Love to hear from you. Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's enough venting for today. (laughs) I feel a little better. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Man, we are out of time, though. So I want to thank all of our sponsors once again for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to our guests today, Michael R. Shea. Uh, Don Holden and Robin Rikers. We appreciate their contributions. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. So wake up now, let's kiss you goodnight. Yeah, the river can wait for another night.